Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Jacob Badsgard, who is the CEO and founder of Disruptive Advertising. Jacob, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. As a way of getting started, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into disruptive advertising? Yeah, you bet. After graduating, I worked in the web analytics industry for quite some time at Omniture that was later bought by Adobe. And I did not have a marketing background. And at any point, had you asked me in my life up to the first few years into my career, marketing wasn't even on my radar. And what happened was I helped a lot of uh, enterprise and Fortune 100 companies track their marketing efforts very well and, and help them see insights in that data. And that's how I started to get introduced to marketing. It was not through the marketing theory or practice, it was through the data and what I saw working and what I saw wasn't working and kind of seeing my opportunity there. That's awesome. And then Disruptive Advertising as a company, how long has it been around? How big is it? What are some successes you want to celebrate? Yeah, I mean, I operated as an independent for about a year, had a lot of success and decided to, you know, hey, let's let's scale this. It's, it can be challenging to sustain an individual consultancy uh, long term. And, uh, you know, my personality is to go big, not to play defense. And so I uh, officially launched Disruptive Advertising, signed on a lease, and, and had my first couple of employees uh, hired in September of 2013. I kind of you know, wrote a check to, uh, for 50 grand to kind of get the costs handled and some operating money in there and didn't take a salary for a little bit and just kind of bootstrapped the thing. And uh, that was in September of 2013. Cool. And now you've grown to over 150 employees. Is that right? Yeah. That's yeah, we're over 150 now, and and we'll do a little over 20 million this year in revenue. So that's fantastic. And I share that really because you know it's it. We really try to get perspectives from everybody, but you've actually taken it from the ground up to something really significant and impactful. I imagine not just as a company and an organization, but within the community and the state that you live in, and you know really just showing that that's the journey. So I'm sure you have a couple learnings about growing a company within there. So maybe you can tell me a little bit, you know, within the context of sharing leadership practices, what are some of the top practices for developing strategy or developing leaders that you found have made you successful within your company? And then we can take it from there. I have found a lot more things that don't work than do work. And I think that that's part of the process. And as stressful as it might be, I've actually kind of learned to enjoy that process. And I almost kind of have to start with myself because I don't feel like I can teach anyone to be a, a productive leader if I'm not one myself. And I think that early on when I, when I was getting the business going and severely lacking in a lot of leadership and management qualities and skills, it can be easy to, to try and find the silver bullets of like, oh, if, it, if I just implement this one strategy or practice or whatever that might be, but the thing that ultimately I feel like empowered and gave me the confidence to be the type of leader that I needed to be actually didn't have a lot to do with work. I kind of had a, an event in my life that was a bit of a wake-up call and decided that it was time to get myself in the right place. 
And so went through the process of, of uh, seeing a personal therapist, uh, worked with a marriage counselor with my wife, researched on the types of things that I could or should be doing to be the best person that I could be. Uh, one of the books that I found to be really influential was The Miracle Morning, and one that I've practiced for a very long time now, uh, each morning, quite religiously. And it, it was in going through that process that I felt like is where I developed uh, some good leadership skills and understanding my motivations for even having a business and trying to grow it. And some of those that were good and some of those that were not healthy and how they were spilling into good and negative ways in my personal life and getting that kind of squared up. And, and granted, I mean, still a lot of opportunity to continue working on that forever. But I feel like that was kind of the, the breakthrough for myself personally to just learn how to love and accept myself for where I'm at, who I am, not who I think I need to be or where I want to be at some point nebulously in the future. And that growing and, and driving the business forward, doing it for the right reasons and not just to prove something to other people or to make more money. And, and I think that's really the foundation of it. And I've actually taken all that work that I've done personally, and I've actually developed a personal and leadership development course that is optional that I teach before hours that people can enroll in at the company and kind of take them through that same process. And so that's, I would say, kind of the, the, the big area that I've found to work for myself and uh, that I've been able to implement for the company. That's awesome. So I really, I mean, just to unpack that a little bit, some really great concepts in there. So one, you know, is that in terms of developing your own leadership wasn't about just finding that, you know, silver bullet, as you say, but really looking inward first to say, hey, you know, where, where am I, you know, being a leader for myself in my own life, and then, you know, looking at your mental health, looking at the health of your marriage and the relationships that are closest to you. I, I assert, you know, in the Miracle Morning, which is a book by Hal Elrod, and I believe Cameron Harrell, as well, you know, really looking at what fills you up as a person and, and getting flat and grateful and going through a, a morning process and morning ritual. At the heart of that is really being what I heard authentically you. And, you know, it sounds a little bit mushy as it comes out of my mouth, but really just being who you are and being true to yourself and not trying to be, you know, who you you think you might be, who other people might think you are, so that really you can focus on what you do best in being totally present in every conversation. And the other thing I heard in that is in terms of when you're leading your people and when you're leading yourself is being okay with not being perfect in that, just like making the progress, putting it all together. And then you've put a formal plan in place, which isn't like a man. It doesn't sound like a management initiative. It was just like, Hey, this worked for me and I want to share it with people. So here's what I'm going to do from a company level. And all of those things sound like it contributed to your ability to demonstrate leadership within your company. I think that's a good, a good sum up. Cool. One of the things I really appreciate, and, and you know, we talk more and more about leadership just in life and in podcasts, because it's so important, not just in business, but you can't like pour from an empty cup. So if you're, you know, dealing with stuff from yourself, there's no way you can contribute to another person or even in a conversation. And, and as leaders, you can check yourself on this is that if you're ever trying to talk to somebody, but that little voice in your head is reminding you about things you haven't done, even if it's like, oh, I didn't take out the garbage or I left the kitchen clean. But those are the little things in terms of integrity that take away from your ability to be a successful manager. Would you say that that's the case, has been the case with you or not exactly? Absolutely. And you can go through the motions and do the right things and still have some limited success, right? But it, it's just, it's different. It's a different game when you're doing it for the right reasons and from the right place versus 
you know, this is my job. I'm going through the motions. I might even be somewhat skilled at it. Uh, man, the ceiling potential between those two approaches is, you know, it's hard to even compare them. What I equate it to in those moments, because you'll still be successful because you've historically been successful that way, but it's like there's there's just a bit of resistance and you actually don't know the resistance is there until it's gone. It's sort of like getting a new computer that like your old computer worked fine and you were able to do this stuff, but then you get a new computer or new technology and it's like 10 times faster and you're like, how did I even live with this before? And that's how I equate having like a breakthrough like that. I want to switch gears a little bit. We're talking about developing leadership and talking what's worked. And I see that on your LinkedIn profile, you've been a member of EO for three years. Uh, Would you be open to speaking about that experience and how that's impacted your ability to grow your business successfully? A lot of the personal progress that I've been able to make, I can at least indirectly tie a lot of it to my experience with that organization. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with what the entrepreneur's organization is, to, to be accepted, you just have to have a business that's doing at least a million dollars in annual and gross sales annually. And then you get involved with a local chapter for me that's in Utah. And we've got, I can't remember, 120, 140 people in it. And then it's kind of broken down into forums that are typically in the seven to 10 people range. This is a group that I get together with once a month that we are we can't do business together so that we don't create any conflicts of interest there uh, we can't be in like a competing industry or space or those types of things it can't be like a close personal friend just want to remove a lot of those things and as we get together we turn our phones off for a half a day which is a pretty big commitment when you're trying to run a business and then you go in and give an update of the the best five percent of what's going on that you might not feel comfortable sharing with others and the worst five percent uh, and share those updates and, you know, it's really interesting because in the group, we're actually not allowed to give each other advice. Um, as we provide those updates and uh, an individual might be selected to go a little deeper on some of those successes or challenges, as everyone listens with no judgment, uh, and then everyone kind of goes around the room and shares an experience that they've had that may or may not be related, right, that it just made them think of. And that way, it kind of just puts a bunch of awesome experiences on the table and then everyone gets to kind of pick and choose the takeaways that they take from that. So they can own those takeaways rather than being told what to do or, or the right next steps. And having that group of peers that I don't feel judged by, that I can be completely open and honest with the successes and challenges that I'm experiencing has been very, very therapeutic and beneficial. And learning from their experiences has, because a lot of them have been there, done that, that what I'm doing has been just absolutely beneficial. And I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, I, and I will say I have a bias in that I lead a CEO peer group in Vancouver with McKay CEO forums and, you know, EO, YPO, uh, whether you're McKay or any CEO peer group, is really just like sharing the fact that they're out there. Because so often you don't know if you've never been in it before, you don't know that those systems exist. And so it's about, you know, providing access to it. And the other thing is, you know, and I imagine this might be true for you, Jacob, is that looking at creating the space to share, because as a CEO, you don't have anybody to talk to about these issues. Like you might not want to bring these things to your wife or to, to somebody else. And you definitely can't bring some of them to your team. So it's about, you know, again, getting your cup full is being able to talk about those issues that are, you know, really maybe weighing on you and giving you the space to deal with them in a, in a powerful way. 
Yeah, I agree. And and the thought and the words that came to mind when you were describing that is just the ability to process those thoughts and emotions and challenges and successes out loud with a group of peers that you don't feel judged by. Like it's, man, it was just something that I hadn't really experienced before. And, and just the ability to process those things oftentimes just leads to some great outcomes. And like a different, like the way I relate it to people is like, it's like the fishbowl. You are in your fishbowl and all you can see is inside your fishbowl, but everybody else, not only can they see, and it's important that they don't give advice. So they say, you know, in my experience, I've done this, but you can also learn from uh, people who have been there, done that. And if you're a CEO or if you're an entrepreneur and uh, you know, you've never been from 10 million or you've never grown to 15 or you've never dealt with hiring challenges at 20, you know, there are people who have walked your steps before and they're put in a place where you you can actually feel free about sharing and asking about it because that's like the implied thing versus calling somebody up on the phone and being like, Hey, you know, what did you do when you had to like fire your CFO? That's like, oh, okay, we'll create the space for that. So, um, I really appreciate you sharing that because, uh, in my journey, you know, I facilitate strategic planning sessions, work with CEOs one-on-one -on -one to support them with what's important to them. But a lot of the times, and I think it's happening more and more, I see them being really tired. Like there's just so much weighing on them. They, they look, and I sometimes I joke, and you know the clients that I've joked with this, they'll know who I'm talking about. Say, hey, you look tired. Like you look like there's a lot on your mind and physically like weighing you down. And, and I don't know if you've experienced that, but just like the weight of emotions is, it can really hamper your ability to be successful. And again, be a successful leader. Anything to add on that? I mean, I think that's absolutely accurate. It can be, it can oftentimes feel very lonely and uh, and just a lot a lot to carry. And so I, I definitely resonate with that. So I want to switch gears a little bit here. We talked a little bit of leadership. I want to talk a little bit about strategy. So I'd be interested to hear about, A, your approach to strategy, and, and maybe there's an impact uh, or uh, influence from the marketing aspect of it. But I'd be interested to see how you guys track your strategy performance. So first we can start off talking about how do you create and, and lead strategy. So what are some best practices from there? But I'd love to hear if there's any influence in terms of your data-driven approach to what you do for clients and if that spills over um, into how you lead strategy within your team. So you maybe take us off from there and, and you know what are your best practices for leading strategy within your organization? We haven't always done this, but what we now do is an annual planning session. <clears throat> where we uh, go off-site for a number of days and take the time to get on the same page with celebrating and, and acknowledging what we've accomplished over the past year, and then really looking forward and saying, you know, what are our key strategic objectives for this next year? And every division of the company has clear KPIs and responsibilities to make those types of things happen. But in this planning session, what we'll do is, hey, if this is our, you know, some, some that are always on the docket is what's our revenue goal for next year and what's our profitability goal for next year. And then what's some other strategic initiatives around that, around living true to our core values and, and vision of, of changing lives through results-based relationships for the people working at the company and the clients that we service. And so we're, we're typically going to have goals around those four things, revenue, profitability, how we improve the employee experience and give them an, an environment of growth. And then the same thing for our clients. Do you use uh, specifically the balanced scorecard methodology or is that just like the things that are important to you as a company? 
those are the things that are important to us okay. as a company. <laughs> Got it. Perfect. Yeah. Just wanted to ask. That's kind of the framework of what we base our goals around. And then we're just kind of the master reverse engineers of those goals. So based on you know, retention and churn, we're able to identify, okay, this is our retention goal and this is our sales goal that allow us to hit that number in order to drive these amount of sales and to fulfill on these sales. Uh, here's what we're going to need from a lead standpoint for marketing, number of opportunities for the sales team based on, you know, what it makes sense to pay to acquire a customer. This is ultimately the marketing budget that supports that. And then every organization has basically, they've got a couple of metrics, but one of them is always a growth metric or their KPI that they're responsible for. And then an efficiency metric to make sure that we're keeping ourselves whole from the health and profitability of the organization along the way. And so we just reverse engineer everything and then, hey, here's your goals. This is where we've got to be each month. And then we review those together in our once a month executive team meeting going a little bit more depth in our quarterly one to see if we need to make any pivot to make those sort of things happen. But everyone's got a number that they're working towards. It's well-documented and reviewed regularly within the team. Your efficiency metric, I've, I've never heard that before. And you know, we look at performance management and managing and leading based on performance instead of feelings. Can you tell me a little bit how you guys, uh, if it's not your secret sauce, to share a little bit about your efficiency metric? Yeah, so this, this exists. It's... At its most simple level, it's your division gets X percent of total revenue to operate. And you need to stay within that percentage in order, you know, plus or minus, you kind of have a range that you've got to stay in. And in order for that to be facilitated, here's the performance that's going to need to happen in order for us to stay in that ratio. And so what it does is most of the time when people get busy and work gets hard, their solution is to just hire more people. But oftentimes that isn't what is really needed. Innovation changes, focusing on the right things, not everything. And so the efficiency metric is most people's bonuses are like half tied to growth and half tied to efficiency. So it's like, yeah, I, I can't hire because we've got to figure these things out because I've got to stay in this metric and I've got to figure out how to, how to hit my growth goal. So it just becomes very self-governing. The sales team operates. I mean, every, every division in our company operates that way. And ultimately it comes down to their budgeted a percentage of total revenue to that division. That's what keeps us whole. And candidly, it just allows people to more self-manage rather than saying, hey, I'd like to hire some more people, but not really knowing if they should or not. You know, this, we just make that information abundantly available and clear to them. And then they just kind of self-manage and hire when they need to. No, I really like that. And I think that also speaks to, you know, sort of answers part of my question around the, how you guys make data-driven decisions within your strategy is that you have a clear outlier or just framework that allows you to just empower people to say, Hey, you know, this is your, like, you're either doing it or you're not. And then it takes some of the micromanagement out of it. And it sounds like, you know, over the, the years that you've been around, it wasn't like a, you know, you put it in place today and then it took off tomorrow. It sounds like it's really been a process that people have had to buy into and understand. And that, would you say that new people, when they come in, that, you know, that's one of the first things that they sort of have to understand. That's like the framework of the rules that they play in at the company. Yep. And uh, everyone understands what numbers they need to hit and what efficient and either directly or indirectly the efficiency metric that's driving that. If I'm on the sales team, my quota is based on my cost to the company. If I'm fulfilling on clients, I need to manage X amount 
in relation to my cost to the company. And everybody understands that. And it sounds like you've also done that, like, yeah, like you've done it at the team level, but it's so you're not judging like marketing by the same measure you would market sales or HR or, or customer acquisition. So that way everybody has a different scorecard within their strategic plan that cascades down. Cool. Okay. That's amazing. I love that. Thanks, Jacob. Okay. So just, we got a couple more minutes here and just to finish up, I know one of the things that you said that you figured out a lot of things that didn't work more than the ones that did, you know, are you willing to share like maybe some of the the lessons that you learned in terms of growing companies to say, Hey, don't do this or watch out for this as best as possible for our listeners. Yeah. And this will, this will be a pretty easy one for everyone to relate to, but it's, you know, how do you know when it's the right time to move on from someone and how do you make a decision there without holding on too long or um, firing prematurely or those types of things? And Gall, it's especially early, earlier in the business, it was a lot harder for me to do that because it was very important to me to be seen as a nice person. Therefore, I justified in my mind, whether consciously or subconsciously, doesn't even matter, that holding people accountable was kind of a mean. <laughs> And uh, again, it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but that's, that's the honest answer. And so rather than holding people accountable when they weren't performing, trying to just be nice to them and not holding them accountable really resulted in, in, in a variety of things. One of them, I, I would say indirectly led to a lawsuit that I dealt with within a disgruntled employee for two and a half years. You know, like to that degree of not just being more directly transparent around you're not performing. This is where it needs to be. And I care enough about you to really hold you accountable to this. And if you can't perform, then we need to move on. And I can just, I can think back of too many situations where I kicked that can down the road too many times. And, um, and, and it impacts your A players. It impacts other people when they see people that aren't pulling their weight that you're not doing anything about that's what I would definitely do differently. And, and there's two things that we've changed about the way that we approach things. One is everyone does have very specific performance KPIs and efficiency KPIs, which makes that a lot easier to review. And then the second component that we've added to that is sometimes people perform and they're still not the right person to be at the company. And that's something that I've dealt with as well. And so when we review performance, it is not only their metrics, it is also how well they are living our core values of the company. And we rate it. We straight up rate it. They rate themselves and then we compare notes. Here's your performance KPIs and how we rate your performance. And then here's how well you're living our core values. And if we're just out of alignment, we either come up with a plan or we move on. Uh, with the uh, measurement around how they're living the values, uh, do you have a, a, a framework for that? Do you just say, is it like one out of five, one out of 10? Is it a yes, no? How do you guys measure that? So we do actually score it on a scale of one to 10. Five is meeting expectations. One is you suck at this. And 10 is you're one of the, you know, you're a leader and example of this core value. And then we rate it. Now, what happens is we provide a simple yet detailed description of what the core value is and what that means with examples of how others have lived it within the organization. They read that and then they score themselves. And then they bring their score and then the manager and them share their scores without talking about it first. So they're not biasing each other. And it kind of highlights if we're just 
not on the same page because sometimes people are like, I'm 10 out of 10 on this. And we're like, oh, I think you're a three out of 10. <laughs> right? And it forces, it forces the conversation. That's what's created a lot of clarity. Yeah, you've got to perform and being in alignment with these core values and performing is really what it takes for this to be a long-term fit. Yeah, I got that. One last question about that. As you have gone and grown your company from you know a startup to $20 million, 150 employees, have you found that there are people that were a culture fit at first or performance fit at first, and then as the company grew, they became no longer a fit within the company? And how did you deal with that? That's actually happened quite a bit. And it's really fun to reinvent myself at each stage of the business. And, I, you know, obviously it is my hope and my goal to continue doing that. <laughs> and to see a lot of the people that have been able to adapt and grow with the business. But it's, but it's very common, you know. It feels like we kind of go through metamorphosis or molt or whatever you want to call it about every 18 months where kind of the bus stop. Hey, you got on at this bus stop and you were the right person to get us from point A to point B. And now it's abundantly clear that you're not the right person to get us from point B to point C. And um, man, early on, I had the hardest time like emotionally allowing myself to acknowledge that, like hanging on. And now a lot of the times it's actually pretty productive. Hey, like clearly this isn't getting both parties what we're looking for. And we'd be jerks if we didn't address this and allow ourselves to move on and find that next better opportunity for what we're looking for. And, but yeah, I would say there's, there seems to be a little bit of a changing of the guard, so to speak, every 12 to 18 months, at least at the growth rate that we've experienced. Yeah. I appreciate that you have those conversations with your people, because like you said, you'd both be jerks if you didn't do it, because in, the, in my opinion, in the back of the mind of that person, they know, or they have a feeling that they are not fitting or they feel like they're being, you know, they might be like pushed out if not consciously, but subconsciously. And you're not doing them any favors by keeping them there because they're suffering and they're making their own lives are hard in the process. And, you know, and as a leader, sometimes you have to make that, that tough decision. Of course, it's easier said on a podcast than it is sitting in a boardroom across from that person you're going to let go. But, you know, you owe it to everybody else in your company to make those tough decisions to move the company forward. So, Jacob, where can people find you? Where can they get a hold of you? And where can they learn more about uh, disruptive advertising? Companies reach out to us and work with us because they often lack the bandwidth or expertise to grow their business advertising on Google and Facebook. And so that's, that's what people use us for. If you think you're in a situation that you might need help with that, it'd be just reach out to us on disruptiveadvertising.com. We have a software that does an audit of, of your campaigns and what you've got going on there that will actually just run for free and give you some recommendations in addition. And if we are a good fit for what you're looking to accomplish and where you're looking to go, we'll be the first to tell you if we are or are not. We actually turn away 80% of the people that reach out to us. And we always give them some great information and context on what they should be doing, even though it's not us. Uh, and again, it's just disruptiveadvertising.com. Uh, personally, connect with me on LinkedIn. or That's where I'm the most active. I'd love to connect with you. All righty. Thank you so much for joining me uh, on the podcast today, Jacob. It's been such a pleasure, and I just really appreciate everything you've shared with uh, people today. I think it'll really make a big difference in there, um, both financial health and personal health as CEOs. Great. Hey, thanks for having me. My guest today has been Jacob Badsgard, who is the CEO and founder at Disruptive Advertising.
If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to rate it five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you have somebody in your network that would benefit from Jacob's advice, please just text them the podcast. They'll love it and they'll be happy to hear from you. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and until next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.